الله الرحمن الرحيم اللهم صل على سيدنا ونبينا مولانا محمد وآله وصحبه We are in Surah Fussilat, Surah 41, and ayah number 43. A'udhu billahi min shaytanir rajim, bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Ma yuqalu laka illa ma qad qila li rusuli min qablik. إن ربك لذو مغفرة وذو إطاب أليم. This ayah speaks to the Prophet ﷺ and speaks to his mission and to the reality of his mission that human beings when they are told that God Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wants them to do something then by default they're going to rebel they're going to become extremely defensive and after being defensive they become stubborn and that leads to them rejecting the message the wahi from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and they start abusing persecuting the messenger So this is a normal thing uh, for human beings to do. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is mentioning this to the Prophet that whatever it is you're facing in terms of your rejection, and in terms of your being denied and persecuted, is part of human history. All human beings who come to reform people face these very, very stubborn forms of resistance and rejection. Uh, nothing, whatever has been said to you, has been said to messengers before you. Nothing has been said to you except that it was said to people and messengers before you. Meaning that's human history, and that is how human beings have always been. So you being rejected and you being persecuted, etc., is nothing new to human civilization. And since you are part of the human civilization and you are a human being, you are a messenger, you're going to face this also. Now, you have to put this in the context of the ayah before it where the ayah before it says that contradiction does not enter the Qur'an, there is no falsehood in the Qur'an whatsoever, then if that is the case, where the Qur'an is all uh, the truth, and people should accept the truth because it is is the truth, and how come people don't accept the truth? If the Qur'an is coherent, consistent, it is wahi revelation, it is reality, it is the real everything else, and how, how can this is happening with the truth, that people should see the truth for the truth. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells the Prophet that no, there's another truth against the truth, which is false, but that false is also part of the whole truth of the cosmos and of the, the uh, human nature. Uh, so whenever you have the truth, people will reject you. It's an anomaly, it's paradoxical. But it's part of the human system. There's going to be friction, always in tension, resistance against the truth. So, you do not measure the truth according to how many people accept it. You measure the truth against the truth. So that's not the way you evaluate your success. In fact, if anything, your success can be measured against the force and resistance against you. That shows that your truth is so powerful that you have such a powerful resistance against it. So this is how you must now apply the ayah, this ayah, in the context of the previous ayah, because against the previous ayah, this ayah doesn't seem to fit in. You're talking about the abstract reality of the the haqq, 
and the batil and the falsehood and falsehood doesn't enter the Quran and all of a sudden you're saying that uh, whatever has been said to you has been sent to messengers before you. So you have to make sure that you understand how to contextualize the ayah in sequence and according accordance with the previous ayah and also in accordance with the ayah that comes afterwards. Anyway, that's an art of tafsir, uh, which inshallah some of you will learn. Uh, so this is now you must now understand that your uh, position in the cosmos is one of the truth, and the truth will always be met with resistance. So this is something that you should understand. What is now the theology behind it? Indeed, your Lord is one of immense forgiveness, the one who possesses forgiveness, that not only is he able to forgive, but he possesses forgiveness, which is uh, obviously a greater form of expression. So this Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he is your Lord. So at the same time, he is the one who has very painful punishment. So he can afflict punishment as he can administer forgiveness. So you have the dual side, that they have the opposites in the divine names and attributes, that one attribute is one of forgiveness, and the other attribute is one of punishing. And that's how the divine is. So we see the divine in his most comprehensive, holistic uh, being, that he is able to forgive and he is able to punish that is a sign of immense uh, eternal strength in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that he may forgive and he may punish. So it is up to him. So now it, was, it is not going to be up to you whether you are going to forgive certain people well, for their you know, insinuations and for their attacks and accusations against you, nor is it going to be in your hands that you're going to punish anyone. So forgiveness and punishment is in the hands of Allah. What you have to do is stay on track and stay faithful to your mission. Deliver the message and deliver the truth, expose the truth. Allah will take care of those whom he needs to forgive and he will take care of those whom he needs to punish. That is not your prerogative. That is the prerogative of the divine. Yes, and then this is how now Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is training and disciplining the Prophet that you have a role as a messenger and Allah has a role as being your Lord. And this is how now the truth, the haqq is comprehensive and coherent that we do not fall into inconsistencies and incohesiveness with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. He is powerful and he is also forgiving. Is both. Unlike other forms of theology or other people's theism and understanding of God, they are usually incomplete and there's a lot of inconsistencies in their understanding of the divine. So, this is how now you see the Prophet's understanding of Allah being enhanced through his now experience. Having a social experience to understand Allah is very different from having a personal experience of Allah. You cannot experience this level of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's names and attributes if you're in the cave. If you were secluded, if you're isolated in Hira, you would not know this because you won't experience it. So your experiencing rejection is a way for Allah to show you who he is. So that is now another point that Allah wants you to be close to him. But how will you now be close to him if you don't know who he is, how he works, how he operates? See, he operates at the maximum level with people in society. He does not operate at the maximum level in a cave. So you, so you won't recognize who Allah is in a cave except a little bit, subjectively. You recognize who lies in society objectively. The platform is much wider 
in society. So you have to go through this mill of rejection in order to understand who your Rabb is, who Allah is. So in the cave you'll be all foo-foo, and you have fluff. Allah is this and Allah is that, and you'll be in the heavens, you'll be on the arsh, you'll be everywhere. But you won't be with rejection, which is part of the cosmos. In society, you'll be part of the cosmos, and you'll see now how Allah deals with people who reject the truth. And that is important for Muslim activists. Nowadays, if you want to be an activist, you must understand this ayah in the way it's supposed to be understood, that people rejecting you is not a sign that your message is not true. You can't fall for that, otherwise you'll become frustrated. And sometimes you'll just give up. I'm going back to my day job. Nobody told you to do this anyway in the first place. You're not meant for it. You're not fit for it. You're not capable of doing what you think you're capable of doing. So maybe you should sit down in the masjid and do Allah, Allah. And that's what's suited for you. You're not suited for this because you don't understand rejection. Until you understand rejection against the divine, you won't understand the divine. Oh, so that's... Yeah, it's a kind of a you know catch twenty two for those who want the ummah to prosper and improve and develop, uh, and then when they are rejected, they become violent. So Allah Subhanahu wa Taala is saying to the Prophet we don't want you to become violent and a vigilante and someone who is always now vindicating that we're going to vindicate and then we'll be glorious and we'll be triumphant and so on. So, There'll be times when you will be triumphant and there'll be times when you won't be. Okay, so now you have the classic of the comparing Badr with Uhad. Badr was a victory and Uhad was not a victory. So that comes with life, that comes with understanding human beings, that comes with understanding society. It does not come with understanding uh, Allah subjectively through subjective experience in uh, a cave or in a church, in a synagogue, in a masjid, and so on. You have to be now there in the thick of things in order to understand Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala comprehensively. So this is now part of the batil, or the truth against the batil, in terms of who your Lord is. So you are meant for to be part of the messengers, the rusul, the messengers, all of them went through this phase in their lives of denial, rejection, and total desperation sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. So this is how Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is reassuring the Prophet It's also a glad tiding for, from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to the Prophet As this is a Makki surah, it was revealed in Makkah before the Hijrah, before Medina came. There are implications in these ayat that Allah's help is near and Allah is the one who will appropriate his forgiveness and Allah is the one who's going to appropriate his punishment. So if you read between the lines, there's a bashara in this ayah also for the Prophet ﷺ, which is part of the Qur'an, Bashirun wa nadira, which is mentioned early on in the surah. وَلَوْ جَعَلْنَاهُ قُرْآنًا أَعْجَمِيًّا لَقَالُوا لَوْ لَا فُصِّلَتْ آيَاتُهُ أَعْجَمِيٌّ وَعَرَبِيٌّ Going back to the concept of truth and falsehood, its abstract value. People want to analyze a book based on its language. And what kind of language is this book now written in? What type of language is the book using? And what are the words? What are the expressions? and what are the values that the book is representing. So understanding the language of every book is now a prerequisite to understanding the book. So so as we are now trying to translate the Qur'an from the Arabic into English, uh, we are now understanding the reason why we perhaps should now study the Qur'an in its original form. So now, had we made the Qur'an an un-Arabic book, Hmm? Ajami. Ajami means non-Arabic. 
they would have said that if only the ayat or the verses had become more explained or they had become more lucid or distinct and so on. Lola fusrat ayat that if only the ayat of these books and the verses of this book had been made more clear, had more elaboration, then perhaps we would have believed. Quran al-Ajamiyan. Meaning the Quran is not Ajami, it is not in Arabic, it is Arabic. But if, say, within the realm of now divine possibility, that had we revealed the Quran in a non-Arabic language, then they would have come back with other objections. So their objection is based on their objection, not based on any kind of formula for exploring, understanding the truth. So this is debating for the sake of debate, arguing for the sake of arguing, and that is just how they are. The kufr has a platform from which it will justify denial, rejection, no matter what is put in front of them. If they don't see the truth, they'll never see the truth. Uh, that is how Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is presenting this uh, understanding of the Qur'an to the Prophet sallallahu uh, alayhi Even if this was there in a non-Arabic language, and then people would have said, that, why not this way, why not that way? So they will, all have, they will always have questions and objections to the truth because they don't like the truth no matter which form it takes. So there is something wrong with the inner heart and inner senses that they simply don't want to accept the truth. doesn't matter which way it comes. Their refusal is not of the book. Their refusal is of the truth. Exactly what the Quran says. Whether it's, is it going to be a non-Arabic or is it going to be Arabic? It doesn't make a difference, Allah is saying. قُلْ هُوَ لِلَّذِينَ آمَنُوا هُدًا وَشِفَاسَيْهِ O Muhammad for those who believe it will be a means of guidance and it will be a cure for their intellectual deficiencies. Shifa here is intellectual. And this shifa, this cure, is now going to be for their intellectual deficiencies, for their mental incapabilities and for their psychological insecurities against the truth. Uh, that everybody's insecure when the truth comes to them. So even when you're arguing with somebody and you feel that uh, the person in front of you has a better sense of the truth, then you become defensive. So the Quran says, listen to the Quran, listen to what Allah is saying, and then accept the truth because it is the truth, not because somebody else is saying it, uh, and so on. So if there's a truth in uh, the Quran and Sunnah, then you must accept it because it is from Allah not because somebody else is representing the truth. So you don't kill the messenger. Mm, that is the point here. So then sometimes you have to concede. In that sense, it's shifa. It's a cure. It's medicine. And medicine sometimes is bitter. You have to swallow the bitter medicine and then you'll be cured from your deficiency and from your whatever perversion or your uh, discrepancy or whatever it is that you need cure from. But this shifa is uh, very different from the other type of shifa, which is physical and so on. But nevertheless, it is a shifa because the Quran says it's a means of guidance. So when there's guidance, uh, there's going to be guidance will then main, uh, bring back the balance of the mind, of the heart, of the soul, the intellect, and also the body. So this is now how you understand uh, uh, truth and how you take the truth is necessary for people when they hear the Qur'an. وَالَّذِينَ لَا يُؤْمِنُونَ فِي آذَانِهِمْ وَقْرُونَ And for those people who do not believe in their ears, that there is going to be a certain uh, uh, burden. Um, there's going to be a certain waqar, a certain burden uh, in their ears which will prevent them from hearing and prevent them from listening to the truth. And it's a barrier, basically. Yeah. So those who choose not to listen, they choose not to listen because they are constrained from within. There's something wrong with their psyche. 
there's something wrong with their soul, something wrong with their nafs, their heart, and that creates a barrier, that creates a burden, and that creates a weight which they cannot lift away from their hearing, from their ears, and that is how they end up in kufr, and so on. And they are blinded by it. The truth then blinds you because you don't want to believe. So it's very subjective here. Then initially, when you're looking for the truth, then you will, if when you find the truth and you are okay with it, then that's a guidance from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. If you're not okay with it and you let the truth administer its medicine in you, then you'll also be guided eventually. But if you don't want to be guided because of the messenger or because it's in a different form or it's not mentioned this way or that way, and so on. So people make many excuses not to believe in the truth, and that is their weight, heaviness on them, and that is their blindness on them. I'll believe this uh, statement if it is now sophisticated in a sophisticated language, and if some Orientalist now is going to present this case, then I will believe it. But if a Muslim presents this, then I won't believe it. So that is now the um. That is now the blindness. You create your own blindness because of these stipulations. And uh, you're not abstract, you're not liberated. You're not free. You don't have freedom of thought when you want the truth to be represented in a certain color, in a certain garb, in a certain presentation, and in a certain social milieu. Mm. If it's presented in this social milieu, uh, the American context of post-Jeffersonian human rights, social rights, and uh, post-enlightenment thinking, then I will appreciate the truthness of this truth. But if it's now archaic, and it's from the Middle Ages, and it's from the desert of Arabia, then I cannot accept that because the form is not worthy of accepting. That is the blindness. And who falls victim for this? Muslims. They're the worst, because they won't accept anything that a good person who has knowledge of the Qur'an and Sunnah will say, and they'll now just gravitate towards what anything and everything that a non-Muslim says about Islam. So that's not shifa, that's not cure, that's not healing. What you do, you're increasing the anxiety, you're increasing the frustration, you're increasing the anger, and you're increasing the kufr by assuming that these people know the truth and they're the best ones who represent the truth. If this one accepts the truth in Ireland, even then they do not accept them. Yeah. I mean, they, Marshal idolized uh, our great friend, Marshal Muhammad Ali, the great boxer, Allah They idolized him. Did they accept anything he said? So the idea that a great celebrity is now going to promote the truth in the world and everybody, as soon as some celebrity says something, I say, ah, no, Islam must be good because the celebrity says so. It doesn't work that way because you're not interested in the truth. You're interested in the form. Okay, you like this celebrity because he's a celebrity, not because he's speaking the truth. That is now how Muslims must be careful in their understanding how society works in uh, contrast with how truth works. Uh, so the abstract truth is from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, it's from the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, it's from the Sahaba, it is from Islam, the Islamic code, the Islamic civilization values, that's where the truth lies. Now, if you don't want to see it, then you don't want to see it. And then you don't want to believe it because you don't want to believe it. So there's an inferiority complex that unfortunately is interwoven into the psyche of Muslims who want to please and appease everybody except Muslims. So here, this is not shifa. Shifa there means that you are, uh, you are appreciating that you need medicine, that you need a cure. And you have deficiencies and you have inconsistencies and that you're not the best thing that happened to mankind. You have to accept that you are deficient intellectually. When you accept you are deficient intellectually, then the Qur'an is a shifa for you. It's going to help you. It's going to improve you. It's going to refine you. 
is going to bring you closer to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. But if from the outset you've already made up your mind, I'm perfect, I don't need any explanation about anything, then that is a disease which becomes cancerous and then that cancer will kill you in the form of rejection of the truth and so on. Yeah, so this is how we must understand this ayah in the context of society, that when society wants to judge the truth based on the form uh, and the representation of that truth, then that is not a good way to understand the truth. The truth is going to be abstract, uh, is going to be real. Uh, so the num- it's not the numbers game, that more people understand that the truth is the truth is the more people accept it. That's not true, as in the previous ayah. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions this. You will always be, as messengers, you'll always be reje- rejected. It is in the deeper, I think, chambers of the human psyche and the human heart that human beings need to now discover and unearth within their conscious, subconscious, that they find that I really am a person who doesn't want to see the truth. Uh, maybe I should drink the bitter pill of the Quran and the Sunnah and Muslim civilization values and come to terms with it and accept it for what it is, not because society wants me to, not because culture wants me to, not because now that you have the liberal agenda coming back into this country and that as soon as the liberals say Islam is good, I'll say Islam is good also. That's not the way you understand the truth because the truth has to be evaluated in terms of its original and genuine message, which is guidance. These people, they will be called from a very far off place, meaning which is the place of hell. That these people, they will be, they'll be so far away, removed from the truth from a very far off distant place, far away from the truth, far away from the haqq, far away from Allah, from far away from Jannah, and far away from believers that they will be now called, and it will be so inaudible, the call that only they will hear what it is they need to hear. So this is the plight of human beings when they come up against uh, appreciating what Allah Subhanahu says, what the Rasul Sallallahu says, and uh, this is how uh, we must find ourselves to be drinking from the Quran, either in terms of guidance or in terms of shifa, which is medicine and which is a cure. But that is more intellectual than physical. Sometimes it's somewhat psychological also. But these are all new words that we have now. Introduce whether it's the Arabic word or the Ajami, non-Arabic word. The, the, the issue is not the language and the mode of expression. Even though the mode of expression of the Qur'an is miraculous, it is uh, obviously a mu'jiza. Uh, if they understood the Arabic, they will see it's, now, it's not something that a human being can, can actually coin and put together. They will see that even the form of the Qur'an is uh, miraculous, is this divine. And those who know Arabic will see that, that no human being can uh, construct such words and put them together in this way. But having conceded that even if this was to be a non-Arabic version of the truth, they would still have found holes in it and they would still have found problems with it, they will still have found objections to it and against it and so on. So what is now the cure? The cure is for the nafs to concede that the nafs needs reformation and islah and correction and all of this uh, that comes along with allowing the Qur'an to be your referee in life. The liberal agenda and even perhaps the modern agenda, whether it's liberal or conservative, is that we don't need a referee in life. Uh, our own conscience is our referee. We don't need a guide. So the Quran says, we are your guide. Who then? We are your guide. So you measure the truth against us. And if you falter and you come short, then we will give you the cure for it and the remedy for it so you can modify what it is you need to modify and reform yourselves uh, this way. So it's all about understanding 
how to uh, accept the truth. So the difference between the truth and accepting the truth. In between there's a conversation as to how that is done. وَلَقَدْ آتِينَا مُوسَ الْكِتَابَ فَاخْتُلِفَ فِيهِ وَلَوْلَا كَلِمَةٌ سَبَقَتْ بِالرَّبِّكَ لَقُضِيَ بَيْنَهُمْ وَإِنَّهُمْ لَفِي شَكٍ مِّنْهُمْ مُرِيبٍ As part of human history, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gives the Prophet ﷺ a concrete example of how this has transpired in human history with previous Rasul, with previous Prophets that we have the example of the people of Musa salam, that they were given guidance and shifa from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, just as you have been given guidance and shifa. So here Allah says that indeed we have given Musa the revelation, the book. Al-Kitab here is probably better translated as the revelation rather than just the book. Revelation will have other forms of the book, including the Torah and so on. So when revelation was given to Musa, so revelation comes from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. It is nothing but the truth. But even there, in, in this very microchasm of a universal community, the people of Musa salam, who were there in the desert, you know, the Sinai desert, they were microchasm of the human civilization. Uh, of their time, and also the Prophet ﷺ then had modeled his uh, ummah based on the Banu Israel, how they had modeled themselves in terms of revelation, the book, the Torah, Islamic law, and ethics, the morals and behavior, and ibadat, and all of that. So that, that is a microchasm. Uh, this is how the ummah of Muhammad in Medina were now being compared and contrasted with that community. So the Ahli Kitab Banu Israel on one side and the Ummah of Muhammad on the other side. So this now appealing to the community in Medina that, look, you must understand that we had given a community before you that is a paradigm for you, a role model, if they were guided, which some of them were, and if they are misguided, then some of them were also misguided. But this is how you must see the cross-section there. But then they differed in it. They differed in the revelation. So even though revelation came, and even though most of them accepted the revelation as revelation, they still had differences in understanding and applying what Allah wanted them to understand and apply. Mm. So this is now something of a warning to the Prophet and the Ummah that when you have the truth and people of the truth, after accepting the truth, they will not always be united or unified on one understanding, one application of the truth, which is also part of human history. That's human history. That's just how civilizations are. So you must appreciate uh, this reality in understanding Perhaps the sociological development or the anthropological development of an ummah, of a community, that this is what they go through. They go through these, uh, not necessarily phases, but they go through these developmental stages where one community is going to now say that we agree on this monolithically. We have, you know, Tawheed and Akhirah and Risala. But we will disagree in this. So this is how Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is preparing the Prophet to explain to his ummah in Medina where ikhtilaf or disagreement is allowed and where is not allowed. Fakhtulifafi is now in reference to the Prophet that they will disagree with the, what do you call it, application of the truth even though they may agree with the understanding of the truth. And sometimes even in the understanding of the truth, they will disagree. Like the people of Musa disagreed, they were given the Torah, they were given revelation, and your community will now follow their lead, footstep for footstep, the Prophet said. So now, you must then ascertain what Allah wants you to do and where your disagreement should stop. وَلَوْلَا كَلِمَةٌ سَبَقَتْ بِالرَّبِّكَ لَقُضِيَ بَيْنَهُمْ Had it not been for a word 
that had proceeded from your Lord, then uh, the matter would have been resolved in the dunya. Allah would have taken them to task for areas, for disagreeing in areas where they should not have disagreed in. But Allah's now word is that he will do this on the day of judgment. Hmm. So the day of judgment is the day when judgment will be rendered. Uh, so that is how Allah says about the Banu Israel. Then on the day of judgment, Allah will judge about their differences and Allah will tell people you are right and tell people you are wrong and so on. So this is how he must now warn the Ummah of Muhammad وسلم, that there are areas of differences that are tolerated and there are areas of differences that are not tolerated uh, because that is how you will be judged. And so on. And indeed, they are in doubt about whatever is going to cause doubt in them. Yeah. That uh, sometimes their nafs gets the better of them and they don't want to concede the truth because somebody else is saying it. Uh, as I said, you always kill the messenger. This one is saying this, therefore I cannot accept this one because he's saying it. So that's not the way you evaluate the truth. So the Ummah of Muhammad has, through Allah's fadl and the Prophet Nur and the Sahaba's now understanding of the deen, they have been able to uh, appropriate where ikhtilaf is allowed, disagreements, and where ikhtilaf is not allowed. Uh, so any issue that is conclusive where there is no shak. If there is no doubt in any issue from the Qur'an and Sunnah, then ikhtilaf is not allowed. It is conclusive and it is now final. So we will not have any difference in the foundational now aqaid and the principles, understandings of Islam. And we may have differences in the micro-understanding that is not subject to the conclusiveness and where ishtihad is allowed. So if there's a doubt, it will be a doubt where ishtihad is allowed. That ikhtilaf is tolerated, if not celebrated. But the ikhtilaf that destroys you from within and causes you to become now schisms and sex within sex, that is not the ikhtilaf that is now allowed. So here Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is saying that in human history, you have a model, and that model, uh, they are the people of Musa salam, and the people of Musa salam. some of them were on the truth, and some of them were not on the truth, as the Qur'an says, that we made them, meaning some people of the Banu Israel, we made them into imams that they would guide people because of their patience. So that Allah is uh, commending those groups of people from the Banu Israel who are on the truth and they were guides and they were guides because they were able to be patient with the people that they were seeking to guide. So likewise with the Ummah Muhammad وسلم, there are going to be areas and places and times where there will be ikhtilaf. So that ikhtilaf or difference does not undermine the truth. So now obviously a very childish way to look at the Islam of the modern day uh, where people say, I'm not Hanafi, I'm not Maliki, I'm not Shafi, I'm not Hanbali, I'm Muslim. Mm. I'm not Shi'i, I'm not Sunni, I'm Muslim. So that's very childish. Okay, when you want to say something about yourself, are you you Egyptian, are you Arab, are you non-Arab, are you now... Indian, are you now a uh, white American? What are you? No, I'm a human being. Right? So that's how pathetic that is. Of course you're a human being. That, that's a given that you're a human being. Hopefully you're a human being. Right? Maybe you should take your DNA and confirm whether you are a human being and not an ape. No. So of course you're a Muslim. The, the question is, how do you practice your deen is based on the areas of ikhtilaf, which are, as I said, celebrate in Islam that you are practicing this understanding of deen this way. That does not undermine your Islam. 
In fact, it enhances your Islam. So there, I think, فَخْتُلِفَفِي is a sentence here in the ayah which speaks volumes about uh, how uh, this has to be understood. And the last part of the ayah obviously, is decisive. Uh, the What is decisive? وَإِنَّهُمْ لَفِي شَكِّمْ مِنْهُ مُرِيبٌ مُرِيبٌ is that which causes doubt. So going back to the previous ayah, ayah number 42, where batil, falsehood, does not approach the Qur'an, neither from the front nor the, uh, the back, then the role of the mushtahid, which I told you last week, is to remove any apparent contradiction. And in that uh, process, you will find that there may be certain areas that are inconclusive. Now, how do I make this conclusive for the customer, for the client, for the consumer? Now, the consumer doesn't know whether the, the imam, the someone behind the imam should read Fatiha or not. So the mujtahid comes and helps the consumer decide that you're going to do this or you're going to do that. And that is how that ikhtilaf, that difference is tolerated and celebrated where it's fine. You're not undermining your aqidah. You're not going against the idea of Tawheed, Risal, and Akhirah. You're still there, alhamdulillah. And you're not going against the idea that the Sahaba are now the standard for guidance in the Ummah. So now you're Sunni. If you go against that, then you're Shi. And then you have to say, be honest with yourself. I don't believe the Sahaba are part of the Ummah, and I don't believe that they are a standard of truth. If you say that, then say you are not Sunni, because that's what the Sunnis claim. If you say you do see the Sahaba as there, then don't say you're Shi. That's just being honest. Don't try to mix the two things together. That is now aqidah. That's my ideology, methodology. This is now normal uh, practice where, you know, you want to have ice cream. So where are you going to find ice cream? A place where ice cream is sold. You're not going to find ice cream where? In the vegetable section. Are you? No. You're going to find ice cream where ice cream is sold. Now, when you go to the ice cream bar or the shop, how many different flavors do you have? So, I'll Baskin Robbins, 31. But is that, if I have this ice cream, am I having ice cream? Am I having a vegetable? So, if you have this flavor of Islam, are you having Islam? Are you having flavor of Islam? So, that's how you must appropriate that ikhtilaf at this level, at a microscopic level, is celebrated and it enhances the whole idea that Islam now is accommodating and Islam is now flourishing. There's a civilizational value. So now the way people dress in Malaysia and Indonesia is very different from the way Muslims dress in Uganda and Nigeria. But do they dress? That's the question. They do dress, meaning they have satr, they have covering, they dress Islamically. The mode of expression changes. So whether it's the Arabic Qur'an or the non-Arabic Qur'an, according to the ayah. If the the mode of expression changes, doesn't mean to say the truth changes. So Islam is now one whole, complete understanding of a way of life, if you are able to express your ibadah, sincerity to Allah through this mode, which is found in the sunnah, then so be it. If it's not found in the sunnah, then that's a different issue. Then it's a bid'ah. Then we're not saying that the people of the former dahib are people of bid'ah. We're saying they all went to the sunnah and they found different modes of expression. And they found different flavors of the same ice cream. So this is how he was in. But not at the foundational level. No Muslim disagrees that this five times salat. No one disagrees with that. No one disagrees with zakat, that zakat is far. No one disagrees with fasting, that fasting is far. No one disagrees with what you call it, hajj, that hajj is far. No one disagrees with tawheed and the risala and akhirah and the angels and the books and the messengers and the day of judgment and jannah and jannah. Nobody disagrees with what is now religion, the aqidah. The difference is going to be in how you show your dedication, worship to Allah by understanding the Prophet method. What came from the Prophet was sometimes this way, sometimes this way. 
Now, who has the skill sets that is going to help you understand which way is better, not which way is false or truthful? So the issues in fiqh, they're not based on haqq and batin. They're not based on whether they are false or whether they're truthful. The issues in fiqh are based on whether they're preferable or non-preferable. That is what you must appreciate. So now, don't get into this uh, unnecessary childish attitude. I'm not a Hanafi, Shafi, Maliki, I'm a Muslim. Okay, if you're a Muslim, then be a Muslim, subhanAllah. Glory to be you, be a Muslim. Follow the Prophet, if you're a Muslim. And the Prophet allowed this level of ikhtilaf. So here you have the macrochasm of the community with the Ummah of Muhammad and you have the microchasm of the human nature in the people of Musa. Allah subhanahu is saying that it doesn't matter which language you come in, the language of Musa is very different than the language of the Prophet Muhammad. But there were people in Musa Salam's people who were on the truth, and there are many people with Muhammad people who are on the truth, and the point is, follow the truth. So what is the conclusion? The conclusion is the following ayah. مَنْ عَمِلَ صَالِحًا فَلِنَفْسِهِ Whoever does good deeds is for himself. And whoever does evil and ill, it is against him. So either you accept the truth and follow the sunnah of Muhammad by understanding and appropriating your following through a truthful method of understanding, not a false method of understanding. And whoever does that, then they will do it, do it for themselves. Good deeds are for yourself, meaning they will benefit you. The benefit will come back to you. Bad deeds, the evil will come back to you. Yeah, the detriment will come back to you. Your Lord is not at all a tyrant or an unjust person being towards any of his servants. Yeah, he's not not at all. Absolutely in not in any way, shape or form is he ever unjust to get the ghulam meaning uh, towards any of his servants that whoever chooses evil, it is because of his choice and whoever does good deeds is because of his choice. Allah will not force anyone to make the choice. You make the choice. And you decide which way it is you want to do. So, if your intention is to do good deeds, then you will follow the Quran, Sunnah, because of the Haqq. And if your intention is not to do good deeds, then you will just bicker and fight and argue for the sake of arguing, and so on. So, this passage of ayat, uh, if you take into consideration what we did last week and what we've done this week, then you'll see the whole package of understanding the truth and falsehood is now based on how this has played out in history. So the people of Musa, they become a model for the people of Muhammad, and they are now, as they had ikhtilaf in the truth and falsehood, we have ikhtilaf in truth and falsehood, but our truth and falsehood, as long as you acknowledge Allah, is one, and the Prophet is the last messenger, and the day of judgment is true, and you acknowledge all the other foundational values of aqidah, then you are on the truth. Now what's needed is, how do I do good deeds? That's the question. So the Muslim is not arguing that the Qur'an is the truth, or the Sunnah is the truth. That's not the argument. The argument is, how do I worship Allah? How do I show my dedication to Allah? What's the method? So you say the method is the Sunnah. And how do I ascertain this is sunnah? Then you have to go to people who know the sunnah. Because it's not an easy task to say this is a sunnah and this is not in the sunnah or this is preferred or this is not preferred. For that, you have to concede to some other who knows a bit more than you do. That concession is part of the shifa. That concession is part of the intellectual shifa which the ummah desperately needs today. They must drink that bitter pill of saying somebody else knows more about the sunnah than I do. So whether that, that's not considered that that person is a pope. Uh, we, we, we're not uh, uh, mandating Catholicism here. 
that that person is a priest. We're not saying that. We're saying that in terms of academic understanding, there's always a methodology and there's always now a pedagogy, there's always now gradings of knowledge. So once the Ummah acknowledges that somebody who knows Arabic the way the Qur'an is revealed and the way the Sunnah is now recorded and narrated, and they understand the language of the Prophet ﷺ, they have much more access to the truth than we do. You have to concede that as a society. Otherwise, society will become cancerous, which is what has become now, unfortunately, the norm in the Ummah. Nobody wants a referee anymore. Why should I follow anybody? You say, you don't have to follow anybody. In any way that you have, don't have to go to a mechanic to fix your car, you can do it yourself. Then you can get into a crash because you don't know how to fix the car. Why are you conceding that the mechanic now is better in fixing your car than you do? You have a brain, you have a mind, you can read, you can YouTube it. You can watch a video. Why don't you do it? Uh, because that's the dunya. Uh, so you're not going to concede there in the dunya that you don't want a referee. In the dunya, you'll go to the doctor, you'll go to the lawyer, you'll go to the professional, you'll go to everybody. Yeah, you don't cut your own hair. I mean, how intellectual is now hair cutting? But even there, you concede that the barber is better than me in cutting my own hair. Why is the barber referee for your hair? That doesn't mean to say that the Baba is God, or the Baba now has wahi, or the Baba knows the truth more than It means there's, there's a need. You have a very simple human need. Go to the people who know a bit more than you do. Then you'll have shifa. You'll have cure. You'll feel better because you're no longer sick. And when you're sick, you're always angry. So people who don't concede to higher authority, they're always angry. They're always bitter about something. They're never happy. They're always frustrated. And people who concede, they're much calmer. They're much happier. The Mufti Sahib said this, I'm going to do this. Finish khalas, end of story. They're happier. They have shifa. So this is how we must understand how society works, how the truth works. So the truth works from the outside where there's haq and batil, and the inside it works where there is now a preference uh, in, in how to which, which flavor of the ice cream it, that it is that you want. We make dua that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala allows us to see the truth for what it is, and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala allows us to follow the truth wherever it is. Ameen, Ya Rabbil Alameen. Wa sallallahu ta'ala ala khayr khalqi. Muhammad wa alayhi wa sahabihi 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 wa sahab